Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook, the podcast where Kevin and I share our 5Bs framework for demand gen every week. Today, Kevin and I are going to share how we went from a couple of performance marketers that nobody had heard of to one of the stronger voices in the demand gen community that's led to the trust needed to build our business. We're going to cover how we executed our own 5B strategy for demand gen to drive us forward and share some of the tools that we use to help us along the way. We'll also hopefully save you guys a bit of time by sharing some of the many, many mistakes we made. Kevin, give our listeners a little bit of context as to where we're at in Season 5 of the B2B Playbook Podcast. Welcome back to the show, listeners. And this week, as George said, we're talking about how we got here, how we applied the same framework to our own business, to our own podcast, and to our own content to get where we are today. Humble beginnings. I would say it's still humble uh, position where we are now, but happy to share some of our learnings along with the same philosophy that we've been going along for quite a while now, which is learning in public, sharing everything we're doing along the way to show you guys exactly what things look like in practice, how that framework looks like in practice. And this season, we're in Be The Best, so the fifth and final B of our 5Bs framework. As we've said in weeks before, this podcast is all about our step-by-step evergreen framework, the 5Bs which started with be ready and then went on to be helpful, be seen, be better, and now be the best. It's our framework for how to do sustainable B2B marketing, or as it's probably better known as demand generation. 
And so in the fifth B, we've been talking about how to stay evergreen and how to make sure your knowledge, your career, your own expertise is evergreen and you continue to be a leader in your professional life and in your business's industry. And in doing so, we hope that the 5Bs framework continues to be circular for you, something that you can keep going back to and keep getting performance improvements from. So it's the perfect time for us to talk about how we've been applying the framework and what that looks like now that we've reached the end of the 5Bs. And we'll cover how we've executed that in a little bit of detail. As George said, we'll share some of those mistakes that we've made talk you through some of the tools that we've used as well and hopefully recap on some of the more advanced strategies that the best demand gen marketers are doing and we're trialing and testing and playing with ourselves and since our business is entirely driven by demand generation we love to show you firsthand how we're doing it all that's it look so listeners kevin and i got started as well, actually, before we were marketers, we were both two very unhappy, sad lawyers. I was a corporate commercial lawyer. Kevin, you were in insurance, weren't you? Yes, insurance litigation. Much more exciting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Two two incredibly excited, happy boys. No, <laughs> look, we were both doing something that we felt wasn't quite having an impact and had both had previous experiences in the marketing world. Kev was at a marketing agency that was growing very quickly. When I got sick of my job as a lawyer, I left and ended up meeting him there. We ran the corporate commercial team there, which grew very quickly over the couple of years that we were there. And we were largely performance marketers. I remember Kev, I felt this way. I don't know if you felt this way, but I thought we were the kings of marketing. The idea that you could put a dollar in, get a dollar fifty out, just seemed so incredible. And I just thought that's what marketing was. And I thought, why would anyone do any kind of marketing other than performance marketing? Like you just got to know the numbers, know the data, and you can scale to infinity. And we were working with clients and we're probably between us spending nearly $30 million a year in ad spend, which is absolutely wild. And so we just thought that this was this repeatable system that we could do forever. And then we niched down to B2B. And oh my God, Kevin, we realized we had so much to learn about B2B marketing. Yeah, we definitely did. And as you said, George, I certainly felt like, you know, what was the alternative? Why was anyone doing something else? Performance marketing seemed to be a no-brainer. And things were looking rosy. As you said, put a dollar in, seems to be getting a dollar fifty back out. There's some technical parts involved, but we were always able to figure that out fairly quickly, fairly easily. And it just... It felt like we knew everything there was to know about marketing and things were a lot more black and white. I think in those early heydays when things were just ticking along very well. But as you said, we quickly started hitting the upper reaches of the that that particular frame of mind and the limits started coming in. We didn't get a dollar fifty back every time. We didn't even get a profit back with every one of our clients. And we started to think very deeply about why was it that a lot of the plays that we were doing, it worked for some clients and it certainly didn't work for every client out there. And particularly in the B2B space, it seems like a lot of the B2C stuff just didn't translate over. So we started getting deeper and deeper into that. We, we started moving out of the agency ourselves as well. And in our spare time, we really started to dig in and niche down into that B2B space. It always bugged us. It was always something that we're trying to figure out. How can we come up with that same repeatable, always scalable strategy and a framework that we can apply 
to get B2B businesses working as well. And we realized that we just had so much to learn about marketing as we went along in that journey, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. Look, we tried to find that end-to-end framework for B2B marketing. We were looking for that silver bullet, hoping that someone had shared this resource, which just showed us what to do and when. But Kev, to be honest, like we couldn't find anything beyond competing strategies and short-term tactics. And look, we read everything that we could get our hands on. We read the classic experts like Russell Brunson, Joe Polizzi, Ogilvy, April Dunford, Cialdini, Seth Godin, so many more. We worked with mentors. We tried and tested everything that we had. And look, there was so much great advice. But again, we came down to that issue of we just didn't know what strategy to use and when we should use it. So what we ended up doing, Kev, was we ended up creating our own framework of when each of these marketing ideas should be put into place. We tested that framework on clients. And once we had something that was consistent and repeatable, we really wanted to share that. We wanted to share the resource that we wish that we had when we got deep into B2B marketing. And that's really key, listeners. For us, that is our motivation going into it. We've realized it was all these great information, but very scattered information all over books, internet, mentors, people who hold that information in their heads. And we realized a lot of it, we just didn't have a very clear structure or framework to apply all that great information on. What order do we do things in? Do we do the hacks on the offer first? We need to have a look at our dream customers first. When do we apply that great concept of Dream 100? All these different ideas, all this great advice, so much value. But we just really struggled to find one framework that we could rely on, that we could go back to and fit all this information into that same framework to understand how it relates to all the other different bits of advice that we were coming across. And so we created that framework, as George said, and we wanted to share it as quick as possible. We wanted people to stop struggling with what we were struggling with for so many years there where we didn't have that framework to go back to, where we didn't have that framework to go back and put new information we are learning into. If someone told us about the Dream 100, now we had a place to put that information into that framework, which step did it go into, which stage did it go into, and based on that, whether we're ready to apply it or is it something that we're already doing and how can we refine it. And that's how the 5Bs framework came together. And we thought, hey, why don't we share that resource? Why don't we share that as quickly as possible? And the podcast was how we decided on doing that. Yeah, and particularly with our own experience as B2B marketers, both in-house and agency side, we know that when you're in a small team, particularly your time strapped, you're constantly reacting to the short-term requests and needs from the business you guys don't always get the opportunity to do marketing that makes an impact. You don't have the opportunity to piece these things together. And I've been there. I know what it feels like to have that anxiety and stress when you couldn't scale what was already working for an organization or you couldn't feel like marketing was making an impact. In particular, Kev, our thing was we knew how to capture demand. We didn't know how to create demand. And that's really what the 5Bs framework helps you do. So This was our way of giving that back to marketers. We wanted to share it step-by-step, episode-by-episode in a sequential format so marketers can get their seat back at the leadership table so we stop just becoming order takers from sales and leadership so we can have a real impact on a business because, my God, marketing is so incredibly fundamental to the success of a business and we deserve to have that seat at the table. 
It was also our way, Kev, of practicing what we preached. The B2B playbook is our own demand engine for our own business. We were doing this for clients and I thought, or we both thought, we've got to walk the walk. We can't just talk the talk. And so this is our way of doing that too. And it holds us accountable as well. We get to continue to do that. We get to build in public. We get to learn in public. Holds us accountable. Holds us very much towards our framework and our timelines and the things that we wanted to accomplish. It's very exciting to do that and to see the fruits of the, that labor come to light and to be able to share that as well is just another great thing that we can hopefully give to our listeners, to yourselves, that you can then start to learn from the framework directly from our example as well. And hopefully, again, the, the podcast is the right formula to share that information as quickly as possible. We thought about things like YouTube. We thought about things like writing a book. And we knew that those things were either too slow to get the information out there. Things would change so much that it wouldn't be helpful by the time we got it out. Or in the case of YouTube, it's just something that was so big, such a big project for us to bite off in the first go that we had to chunk it down and start with something a bit more manageable for our limited expertise at the time in content creation. That first episode that you and I created on YouTube was so painful. It never made it to air. I remember we had our script there, we said our lines and we watched it back and oh my God, our faces both went bright red. It took us some time before we got comfortable to get on camera. But look, let's go into how we formulated the B2B playbook and try and take you guys behind the scenes on some of the strategic thinking, which in many ways is looking at how did we apply our own framework to create the B2B playbook? And you guys will be able to follow this exact same process for the business that you're working in. The first thing that we recommend everyone does is research who your ideal customers are, not just all your customers, but who are your best customers, the ones that fit your business like a glove that you need to double down on and focus on the next six to 12 months to win their business. For us, that was B2B marketers and small teams, and it was our mission to try and hang out in communities and understand them as deeply as possible. So we hung out where they hung out. We got them on Zoom meetings. We spoke to them about pains and anxieties and job responsibilities. We analyzed them in their jobs to be done framework. We started to find then based on all of that, how can we start to make their lives better? How can we share our content in a way that is tailored to them and helps them? And so that first component of research was incredibly important. And we must have spoken to minimum 50 marketers before going ahead with this. The second step once we'd done that was, okay, we have a really good idea as to who it is that we're serving, what their major pains are. We have an idea as to what the content is that we're going to give them. We're going to give them our framework for demand gen. So we needed to define our editorial mission. Our editorial mission is a way of applying a bit of a filter as to who it is that you're serving, what it is that you're giving them, and how are you delivering it. It creates really positive constraints on your material and who you're creating it for to keep you very focused because the broader you go, the less people are going to pay attention to your message. So when we said, who is it that we're serving, Kev? We said, it's going to be B2B marketers in small teams that need to create demand. We chose that niche because we saw they were underserviced, but also we had experience in their, that area ourselves. And so we understood that ICP well because we were that ICP. Really important to define who it is that you're serving, who you're tailoring your content to. 
The second question you need to ask yourself when defining your editorial mission is what are you giving them? We are giving them our 5Bs framework that they can implement in their business to help drive demand. Again, this provides constraints, which makes our decision-making much easier, Kevin, when deciding whether or not we should pursue a particular content theme or whether a guest is in line with what it is that we're talking about. It really helps us narrow down what we are giving to our audience. And finally, as part of your editorial mission, you want to define how you're delivering this, how we're delivering this materials. We decided the podcast was going to be the first way we were going to distribute it. Then we were going to turn that into articles and snackable bits on LinkedIn. So make sure you go through and define those three key components of your editorial mission. Again, who are you serving? What are you giving them? And how are you delivering it to them? Write it all down and create those positive constraints so you can stay focused. And from here, things get a bit easier. So you've done all the hard yards of getting all that information right. You've got your positioning, you know your audiences really well. And the next few steps are fairly logical once you've got all that down. We start thinking about things like format, channel, and distribution. Format, originally, as George said, we had a look at YouTube channel. We thought that would be a great way for people to digest the information very quickly and it's easy for us to get it out there and to start to build an audience and get the word out there but we quickly pivoted to podcasting as George said realized that YouTube was just a little bit too hard to commit to off the bat not only because we're a bit uncomfortable on camera just the the editing process and all the other skills that we had to pick up there it was a lot more than we could handle right off the bat podcasting, editing in GarageBand when we first started. It was a lot easier to get on board with and learn the skills necessary to keep that going and to stick to that cadence of once a week so we could really stick to it, really get that consistency going and start to build the audience with that consistency and build a bit of trust because we're there for you guys every week. From there, we also decided that we didn't want to be guest-driven. We wanted to share our framework step-by-step. And that really, again, comes down to our editorial mission because that was so clear in our minds as to the purpose and objective of what we were doing. It was an easy no-brainer to say, okay, we're not going to be guest-driven, even though a lot of podcasts actually get a lot of growth from the caliber of guests that they have on, which is very similar to some of the episodes that we've had. We always get a bit of an explosion of following of uh, people coming and checking out the show when we have excellent guests on the show. But we knew that would only come potentially at the end of every season. Guests do help us reach new audiences, but we didn't think they should be the key because the key value really is in the framework and hoping that everyone who listens to the show really finds value from that framework and makes it their own. And simply just because we didn't see guests driving enough value for it to be purely guest driven on the show not to say that it don't bring a lot of great value but hopefully the framework is the focus the framework is something that people can get the most value from over time and then it was easy to decide from there what channels we should use to distribute so obviously we have the podcast but we knew that the podcast wouldn't find its way into the right people without a bit of help. So naturally we looked at LinkedIn. We're in the B2B space. LinkedIn is the natural go-to channel for that space. It's where all our desired customers or listeners or future dream customers would be at. And it's an easy way for us to find them. They're all B2B marketers. They tend to gravitate towards LinkedIn for a lot of their learning and their information. It's the perfect distribution channel where all our dream customers already are residing. And then talking about distribution, obviously we have the LinkedIn as the primary channel. We had zero network and no followers to start with. We used 
a tool called Dripify to start to add our ICP to our network so that they'd be exposed to our content. And practically, we also used AuthorUp to refine, analyze, and repurpose old posts over time so we can keep that cadence going on LinkedIn. And that's the sort of tools that helped us really get that scale right from the start, but also continuing today. But distribution is another question that was very easily answered because we knew that is the channel that our dream customers preferred. That is the channel that those B2B marketers we spoke to right at the beginning said, yes, that's where I get my information from. That's where I trust the information to come from. And so naturally we needed to be a strong voice there in order to gain that trust from that channel. And to make that job of finding listeners and finding our audience that little bit easier. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. And then, Kev, I'll also add on the technical side, just for our podcast, we use Captivate to host our podcast and Riverside to record it. I will just add, listeners, look, if you are just publishing your podcast, do not expect it to be found through the podcast search engines. That's just not going to happen. You're going to end up with a big, fat zero listeners if that's all you do. You've got to make it as accessible as possible. Where do you do that? Find out where your dream customers are hanging out and repurpose it so it's super helpful, bite-sized, and post it in those communities there. For us, LinkedIn was a total no-brainer. It was very easy for us to find our list of our ICP. We could search for B2B marketers and small teams, primarily in Australia is where we originally started off, but have since expanded to the US and the UK. And then we actually had Dripify, this tool, just go through and add 20 people a day to my network. And I wouldn't be there trying to sell them things. I wasn't trying to do anything. Just a simple message saying, hey, lovely to connect. We're both in marketing and BD. Have a lovely day. That's all it is. One tiny little interaction. And then I just leave them. And then people would just start seeing my content because they're in your connection. And because the content resonated with them, they would spend time on that content. And guess what? They're the people who ended up becoming the biggest listeners to the podcast, who ended up saying, hey, I've been following your content for a long time. I've seen you have the B2B incubator. I'm really interested in that program. Or saying, hey, I see you guys offer LinkedIn ads services. We can't get it to work at our end. Can you guys give me a hand? And so we build so much trust over time by leveraging that platform. So really just when it comes to distribution, think about the channel that makes the most sense to start off for your business right now. As we said, LinkedIn made the most sense for us from the beginning. That might not be the case for you. You've got to validate that's where your dream audience lives. And eventually when you do start to build a bit of steam and start to get a bit bigger, then the question of repurposing comes in. 
what other channels should you be exploring? Should you expand to? How do you repurpose your content to those other channels for it to perform well, but also to minimize the amount of lift and effort that you need to put in to do that? And we've spoken about the technical things that we did to get that going. But as a quick overview, the idea is that once we had LinkedIn down, once we had the podcast down, it was much easier for then for us to then tackle YouTube. And we actually thought about TikTok as well at the time, but we realized that TikTok isn't the perfect fit for our particular business or what our content needed to do. We chose YouTube specifically because, again, our audiences and the people that we talked to who would be our potential dream customers wanted something that lived on YouTube. That was another channel that they were very familiar with that they got their information from. But we also realized that YouTube had the benefit of retaining a lot of the content that goes on there. So aside from the feed and things like that, you can save the content. You can watch it later. You can rewatch it. Whereas TikTok is a lot more transient. So the little bite-sized pieces of information can go very quickly. And then you lose the impact of that content over time. And what we really wanted was that over time, evergreen content to really stay with people. The framework at the end of the day is evergreen and it needs to come up again and again to be really impactful for our listeners, for those future B2B marketers who will lead the industry, hopefully. Yes, they will. They will be the leaders, Kevin. Okay, so let's go into the lessons learned from our initial demand gen strategy. So you're not going to nail it the first time. No one ever really does. But as Kev said, this 5Bs framework, this demand gen process is circular. And let me take you through how we applied that. So look, Kevin and I, we were gaining listeners and followers of the B2B playbook, which was our demand gen and is our demand gen engine. But we realized after speaking to our ideal customers that some didn't know what sustainable B2B marketing was. Kevin and I kept talking about sustainable B2B marketing and how every business needed a sustainable B2B marketing strategy. And I started having people messaging me saying, oh, I think it's fantastic you talk about sustainable B2B marketing strategy. Everyone needs to care about the environment. It's great you guys are doing your bit. And I just paused and I went, oh, no, what have we done? Like, we are not getting the message through. This is not a term that people understand. And so we sat back and we thought, do we really want to try and make people understand what sustainable B2B marketing is? Do we have to create this new term and attach people to it? If you go through a positioning exercise, people would talk about that as establishing a new category. Now, establishing a new category takes a huge amount of resources and time and funds because you've got to educate people on what that term is, why it deserves to exist, and then why you're the best solution for it. And we just thought, you know what? We're two blokes who have bootstrapped this. We're busy people. We don't have the time or the resources to do this. But then as we got deeper into our community, we saw that, hey, everyone was talking about demand generation. And demand generation is exactly what our strategy is. We just called the sustainable B2B marketing strategy. Demand generation in many ways is a repackaging of those fundamental marketing principles that we talk about all the time. So what we did was we readjusted our positioning from sustainable B2B marketing to demand generation to take advantage of this rise, of this understanding, of this existing category. And as I said, that is a positioning lesson. For us, it was much better to be the big fish in the small pond rather than try and create a whole new category itself. 
So that was really big lesson learned, Kev, from our initial strategy. And we conduct interviews all the time with people who go through the B2B incubator program. We speak to our listeners all the time, and we're constantly refining who our ICP is. Another key lesson that we learned, Kev, from our initial demand gen strategy is we wanted to better track that our content was aligning more and attracting more of our ICP. So we started really looking for qualitative and quantitative signals to show us that this was on the right track. And we've done reporting episodes where we go really, really deep into those metrics. We talk about our three-tiered measurement system that you should all be adopting. But in terms of some quick tools that we can mention that helped us do that, LinkedIn tools are really great out of the box for telling you which ICP are consuming your content, which ones are visiting your website, and also Clearbit's free weekly visitor report is a fantastic resource for seeing are you getting more of your ICP viewing your content and are they consuming it and uh, are they engaging with it in a way that is meaningful. Yeah, that's a few very valuable lessons that we learned along the way uh, from applying our demand gen strategy and really applying all the different stages and the learnings to our own business and to see how we can improve how we're doing the B2B playbook. In the same light, let's have a look at what we did with the B2B incubator. So what is it? The B2B incubator, we've said it a few times now, but if you're new to the show, it's our system, it's our program, it's our course for building your demand engine within 12 weeks. And why did it come about? Quite simply, it was because our ICP and our listeners were asking for it. They wanted something that they could do one-on-one with businesses because sitting there listening to the podcast, noting down all the different things that we're talking about and then applying it, it's not only time-consuming, it's hard for people who are time-strapped, those B2B marketers who are in-house and have very little resources to sit there and do all that and then to apply it themselves. They needed a system that would help them get all that together as quickly as possible. And we heard our listeners, we heard them or we conducted a lot of interviews before, as George said, talking to these B2B marketers to understand what issues and key pain points they were suffering from and they were facing. And we took all that info including information on things as specific as how much learning budget they have. And we used all that to figure out what a program would look like to give that offering to our listeners, to the people who are coming to us and asking for that particular product. Podcasts obviously helped us to reach even more of these marketers and to improve the quality and quantity of interviews we could do with people who are in our ICPs and continue that refining process. And we could talk about all these things in a very non-threatening way. So because we were approaching it from the podcast angle, because we're approaching it from the idea that we're trying to improve the content that's coming to you, they were much more open to us asking them questions around things like pricing and budget and how that program would look if they were to buy one from us. And we use all that information and we're always very thankful for that. So thank you very much listeners for allowing us to put the program together for you. But with all that information, we then built the program, we recorded it, and practically that looks like us signing up to Kajabi, George and myself recording some of the sessions, putting the program together before we recorded the sessions and hosting all that information within Kajabi. And we even added a few spots at the back of that program to make sure that there's an exchange for feedback. And we use that continued feedback over time to keep improving that program and the messaging around it as well. 
And we do continued interviews and check-ins after the program is over to make those further adjustments and to keep learning from each cohort that goes through the program. We look at the messaging and we've done a recent series, a mini series about how we improve that messaging again. But one practical example of how we change the messaging from those learnings is we looked at does build your demand engine in 12 weeks perform better or is more appealing versus get your demand generation strategy out of your head and down on paper. And we realized, you know, both those things are good, but actually maybe the second one appeals a bit better. And we learned that from interviews directly with our ICPs, with people who've been through the program and people who are bought into the podcast and our message. And with things like targeting, we've naturally evolved to Uh, expand into the US and the UK, as George said. And that's just because those audiences converted better. And even though they had a high CPL, they actually ended up with a lower CPA. So we followed the data as well. We took both the qualitative and the quantitative data that was coming back to us and feedback, and we built it into the system that we use to promote the program itself as well. And we updated the LinkedIn ads that we promoted the program with accordingly. So we took the messaging that our ICPs responded to best, And we took the targeting and and learning some quantitative data as well. And we built all that into how we go about our LinkedIn ads for our own podcast, for our own program as well. And that is the example of how we're applying the 5Bs framework to the incubator as well. That's it. It's that constant cycle of feedback, isn't it, Kevin? And every time we get closer and closer to just mimicking our dream customers and exactly what they want. I know that whenever we talk to an applicant, I know pretty much, Kevin, what they're going to say about what they're doing in their job. I know that they're suffering for what from one of four problems, and I know exactly how the incubator is going to help remedy that. And that's no coincidence. That's because we're constantly speaking to our customers, refining our messaging, refining the product to better help them in their unique circumstance. So as you said, Kev, that's a bit of about how we're applying our own framework to the incubator. Something else we then started to look to, Kevin, as advised following our 5Bs framework is, I think we put it, Kevin, after be ready, be helpful in be seen, we talk about partnerships. Partnerships is really another channel for your offer to be advertised in, to get in front of your dream customers. And we've explored partnerships through networking, through groups of B2B marketers. We've arranged special arrangements with them. People who have gone through and done the program before and got a huge amount out of it, they're advocates for us in those channels, which is wonderful. We're trying to do a little bit more networking, Kev, and get out there in the community in Sydney, Australia as well. And we'd love to get over to the US and see all you lovely folk over there too. And A huge one, Kev, that's been a really big driver for us is collaborating with our Dream 100. And your Dream 100 are the other influencers that your dream customers follow. So who else is it that's influencing your dream customers? For us, we had a list of people on LinkedIn that were thought leaders in the space that each had their own specialty that we'd actually already had on the podcast and had become quite friendly with. And we did a collaboration with them and we try and do multiple collaborations with them. But the big one, which was a big lever for us earlier this year, was a collaboration with four particular experts. And the idea was, could we all band together to create the perfect B2B marketing campaign? There was a great story behind that that I won't go into, but we've recorded the whole episode on it, which you can go back and listen to, which reveals the collaboration we did, the outcome, 
how we ended up sending one of our listeners $1,500. It's a pretty fun story. And Kevin, actually just today, someone that I've never heard of before, this B2B marketer just did a LinkedIn post saying, hey, I just watched this episode from the B2B playbook. Jess Cook is a landing page and copywriting expert, and she showed them step-by-step how to go from customer interviews to updating your landing page and copy. I followed it. I updated my website and it's helped me immensely. And she tagged us in it. And we did this project months and months ago, but because it was so truly helpful and because it was so aligned with our dream customers, it's still out there serving people. And if it's serving people, they're grateful and it will serve us back. So partnerships, collaborating with people that our, inf- that our dream customers follow, forming referral partnerships with other services that people need, that's something that we will continue to focus on next year. Yeah, what a fantastic example and always heartwarming to hear those things come up. And it's what we strive for. It's what we hope for from day one. We hope that it would get out there. We hope the content will have this sort of impact where people start to get value from it and continue to get value from it over time, even well after we initially released the content itself. And as you said there, George, a big driver into the incubator and into our listenership is referrals. And up until now, a lot of that has been happening organically, but we've also looked actively into ways to incentivize that and we'll continue to focus on that over time. People get a kickback for referring people to the program. Just let us know, especially if you've been through the program, that referral program is called out so you know that it's happening. And it just goes to show, again, the effect and the impact of being helpful, being content-led, and being very helpful in that content. It builds a huge amount of trust. People rarely compare us to others because they just trust us inherently because they already feel like they know us, they know the content, and they do know us. We're pretty transparent and very much ourselves on the podcast. We share all different tidbits about our personal lives. And it's funny because George was just saying to me before we started recording, listeners, that one of our good friends, good friends from the professional sphere, said to him in a recent conversation that he feels like he knows us so well. And it's so funny because they actually think about us in that podcast context first, even though we actually do know them very well offline. And they actually know us just by virtue of being connected professionally, not just through the podcast. But it just adds that extra layer of connectedness when people really trust your content, where you're just trying to be helpful in your content. And that would really help and serve your business very well going forward. But George, let's talk about how we're going to apply the 5Bs framework going forward. What does our strategy look like for the playbook for the incubator and everything we're doing here going forward? Yeah, Kev, I keep saying this to people because people keep asking, you know, kind of what's next, what's next. And I think first, Kevin, we're finding something that's working for us. We really nailed our ICP. We've got really great product market fit. We just got to keep doing more of the same. We've just got to keep serving our tribe as much as possible. And this thing is going to keep growing. That's a reminder for your listeners. Once you find something that's working, don't throw it away. Just keep doing more of it. How can you scale up what you're already doing? And so we're very excited to remain focused on that in into next year. If I am going to add a few other things, Kev, and I do always get a little bit distracted, I'm out here preaching focus because I need to hear it. 
But look, something I want to do more of is share more customer success stories from the B2B incubator. We're getting some great wins from people who have built the demand gen program in those 12 weeks. They're all really coming to fruition and I can't wait to share those publicly with people. I want to lean into written content better, Kev. That's something you and I have discussed. We still want a lot of that content to be from us because I think there's a lot of value in our experience and the stories that we can tell. But I do think that we need to leverage AI to help us go from this podcast format into our articles. And we are playing around with it. It is helping us. It is getting a little better, but we still want to make sure we capture the essence of our voice and our stories and our personality when we write those articles. Another key part of our strategy, which really is the same as it is now, is keep conducting our dream customer interviews. That's always going to be the thing that impacts our strategy. So just a few things that we've been meaning to update based on feedback that we've got from people. We offer people a certificate of demand generation when they finish our program. Apparently that's really important to people. I didn't realize that was that important, but it is a criteria that some use to evaluate us before we buy. And so that is on our to-do list to get up on our website and to make that quite prominent. We're also looking at toying around with how can we make our content more searchable? We've had listeners reach out to us and say, hey, I find all your content super useful. I love the framework, but what if I just want to find a bit about the Dream 100 or what if I just want to find your episodes on LinkedIn ads? How can I find those? And so we want to look at how can we make our content more searchable? There's probably some easy ways, Kev, for us to do that right now, like tagging our posts better, providing a search box and a search filter. But something else that we're really excited to do is to create a bit of a brain in ChatGPT, creating our own custom ChatGPT, uploading the transcript of every single episode we've recorded. And then we have this incredible resource of everything you've said, everything I've said, and everything the experts have said. And it'll be something very interesting for us to at least have just for you and I, Kev, to draw on for content in the future. And then maybe if it's something we think is going to be really helpful to our listeners, maybe it's something we can look at giving them too. We're also going to continue with the cohorts as they are, Kev. We're still getting great feedback on that for the B2B incubator. So keep that going. We're also going to start looking towards the mid-market, Kevin. A lot of people are asking for our program as training to upskill their existing marketing team or to really bring some sales and marketing alignment. There's a lot of chat about how they need to work closer together as one revenue team, and our program really helps people do that. So we need to look more into that, Kevin. Part of that is, again, the very first step. Let's follow our playbook. We've got to understand who our dream customers are better. Now, you and I understand the smaller organizations really well, but once you get to mid-tier enterprise, all of a sudden the decision makers, they're L&D and they're AHR and they're not necessarily involved in marketing and they're the gatekeepers. So we have to understand them better. We've got to understand what's important to them and then we've got to create resources that make them realize the value of what we're selling as well. So just a few notes on some things for us to look forward to next year. Yeah, all very exciting things. And as you can see, listeners, there's a running theme of continuing things that work, taking that feedback, as we talked about in the framework, taking that feedback, making it circular, bringing it back into the content, refining how we go to market, refining how we communicate about it, but also refining the content itself as well. And doing all the things, hopefully will keep us on the right track, keep us closely aligned 
to our dream customers, to our ICPs, to all the people we hope to continue to serve over time. And hopefully next year will be another banging year. So key takeaways from this episode, listeners, there's a process to creating programs that drive demand. It's not as simple as start a podcast or get some subject matter experts to post on LinkedIn within your business. There is a framework in place that you can really do to put all that good knowledge to use. And that is the five beast framework. And that's what we're doing with our own business as well. There's a lot of helpful tools out there to help you with the execution part, but it really doesn't replace strategy. So make sure you define how those tools will help you achieve your goals as part of your strategy. And constantly speak to your dream customers. We can't emphasize that enough. That's the best way for you to understand your ICPs, to understand your dream customers so that you can then refine how you communicate your value over time and improve the value that you actually deliver as well. Very good. Thank you, Kevin. All right, listeners, as always, you can find links to everything that we discussed in the show notes. And look, Kevin and I are just so grateful that every week more and more marketers tuning in or catch us on YouTube every Monday morning. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show into someone who you think would get value from it. And also please feel free to leave feedback in the comments. It's a huge help to us, to our future listeners, and we'd really, really appreciate it. Subscribe, do all those nice things. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Catch you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Sorry to interrupt, guys, but I need to let you know that our next cohort of the B2B Incubator is launching in February 2024. For those who don't know, the B2B Incubator is our no-fluff program that gives you the strategy, the templates, and the tools that you need to drive more revenue for your business, not just leads. It's built for small in-house marketing teams with limited time and budget. So if you're ready to act on all the advice that we give you and you want to start driving more revenue for your business, next time you sit down at your desk with a cup of coffee, remember to head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort. So apply now for our cohort launching in February 2024 so you don't miss out. The b2bincubator.com. Check it out. All right, back to the episode.